You know, so many people have stopped preaching on the rapture and surprisingly, a lot of people have stopped believing in the rapture. I can't imagine that. So in this episode, I want to show you why I believe in the rapture of the church. It's coming soon. You don't want to miss this. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God shall sound. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. At some point in time, that has to take place. And that is one of the most descriptive rapture uh, passages in the Bible. Along with 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 55, that you often hear read at a graveside when someone passes away who died in the Lord. Because it talks about how this immortality, or this mortality rather, must put on immortality. And how this corruption must put on incorruption. It's the passage of the Bible that says, we shall be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. So at some point in time, these things have to take place. If there is no rapture, then explain when these moments occur. Another reason I believe in the rapture is because of a pattern that was established in the, rap, in, in the Bible right from the very beginning. I'm, I'm talking in particular about Enoch. Now, Enoch, as we know from the Bible, was taken. And we'll go through that later on. In the next uh, lesson, I'm going to talk about types and shadows of the rapture. And one of those types and shadows will be Enoch. So I'll be able to elaborate on that a lot more. Well, the word taken for Enoch is the same word that we're using, the same word that can mean called up or raptured or married. It even means to be married. So, so this word that Enoch was taken does not mean that Enoch died. Enoch was raptured from this earth. What's unique about Enoch is he is the first man of the seventh generation from Adam. So he's the seventh man from Adam. Seven is the number of completion, signifying right off the bat that when things are completed, a rapture will take place. So Enoch establishes, is the first, now there's many, many more like that. Enoch is the first to establish a pattern that the rapture is, uh, is coming. The third reason that I want to give you is that the rapture is not a single event. We're going to cite in one of our lessons, I'm going to show you 10 different raptures in the Bible, and that's not all of them. I just only have time to go over 10, but there's more. And I will tell you where some of those are. You can look them up for yourself. But the rapture is not a single event, and many people treat it as though it is a single event. The rapture of the church is a part of a sequence of raptures that take place for a reason. Now, Enoch, the seventh man from Adam, uh, is the beginning of that sequence. But you also have things like the reaping of the wheat and the tare, which is a type of rapture. Uh, not a type, it is a rapture. Uh, you have, you, there's some easily recognizable raptures in the Bible, like Elijah the prophet, or like the ascension of Jesus, or like the two witnesses in the book of Revelation, which die on the street, 
lay there for three days, are resurrected, and then they, are, they ascend to heaven in a cloud in front of everybody. That's a rapture scene. So because of that, why would I not believe in the rapture of the church when in fact the rapture is a pattern that plays out over and over and over again in the Bible? Now the raptures that are still, the, another reason that I believe in the rapture are because of the raptures that are still to come. Even raptures that will take place after the rapture of the church. After the church, you're going to have another rapture of the 144,000 Jewish people. That is a rapture that takes place. The two witnesses that I just mentioned, that is a rapture that takes place. The reaping of the wheat and the tare at the second coming in the first day of the millennial is a rapture that takes place. Let me just give you another one, the one I call the final rapture. Um, when God renovates the earth, everybody's living on the earth in the millennial reign, we're going to the great white throne. How do you think we're going to get there? How are we going to get from the earth to the great white throne? And then God's going to renovate the earth. We can't be on the earth when it's renovated by fire, the Bible says. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth created. Well, where are we going to be at that time? We'll have to be in heaven with the Lord. That means even after the millennial reign, all of us on the earth go back to heaven again. Another rapture that I call the final rapture. So the rapture is a pattern, and there are many raptures that will take place, some to come. Uh, there's types and shadows of the rapture. That's another reason I believe in it, because of the types and shadows. We're going to do a whole lesson on that. The types and shadows of the rapture are found all through the Old Testament, uh, scenes such as Mount Sinai that I will explain to you in one of these lessons where the whole scene of Mount Sinai and the giving of the law, I mean, it's a type and shadow of many things, but one of the things that it's a definite type and shadow of is the rapture of the church. Noah's ark floating above the uh, wrath of God on the earth is a type and shadow of the rapture. And I'm going to break that one down into prophetic numerics for you so you can see what the three decks mean, what the window means, what the door means, what the two animals coming in means, what the seven animals coming in means. We're going to break that one down so that you can see very clearly that God is giving us a foreshadow of the rapture of the church, among other things. Um, here is another reason that I believe in the rapture, and I will explain this one too in a moment in this lesson. God has not appointed us to wrath is the reason that I believe in it. Does the Bible say that God has not appointed us to tribulation? Oh no, too late for that one. Does the Bible say God has not appointed us to trials? Nope, too late for that one. There's a difference in tribulations and trials and the wrath of God that is coming to judge the earth. There's a big difference in those two things. So that's the reason that I don't adhere to what some people claim is escapism. We're not escaping tribulation. We're not escaping trials. We're not even escaping martyrdom. We're only escaping the wrath of God on this earth. Another reason that I believe in the rapture is that the church is not mentioned in the tribulation passages of Revelation. All those passages there, no mention of the church. You don't see any mention of the church after Revelation chapter 3 till the very end when the saints come back with Christ. What you see is things going on on the earth. You see the Jewish world on the earth. 
You see the 144,000 Jews. You see the Antichrist kingdom. But what is missing in that whole chronological scenario is the church. It's not mentioned at all after chapter 3. And that's the reason I believe is because I think chapter 4, verse 1, when John heard a voice saying, come up here, and there was an open door in heaven, that is the scene where he is showing us the rapture when John was raptured. By the way, there's another rapture for you. John has to get there somehow from the Isle of Patmos and then come back and tell us about it. All right. Then I believe that is the chronological order of when the church is raptured. Another reason I believe in the rapture is because of all the prophecies about the rapture in the Old Testament. Prophetic passages, some of those I will go through, but do you know there are rapture prophecies in the Psalms? There are rapture prophecies in the Song of Solomon. There are clear, easy to see rapture prophecies in the book of Malachi. We'll talk about the book of remembrance for the day that he makes up his jewels and spares a son, and then you will see the difference between the wicked and the righteous. Very, very clear language for the rapture of the church there in Malachi. Another reason I believe in the rapture is because the purpose of the tribulation period is to judge the world and the enemies of Israel, not to judge the church. That's not the purpose of the tribulation period. And so, the purpose is to judge the world and bring Israel back to the Lord and judge the enemies of God. Another, believe in, another reason that I believe in the rapture is because I believe that the missing church creates the vacuum for the Antichrist kingdom to arise because we are the restrainer. And when the restrainer is taken, then the vacuum of all of that creates a, 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 a prime moment for the Antichrist and his kingdom to make their move. I also believe in the rapture because of the patterns in the feasts of the Lord. Now I'll do a whole a lesson on this later. It'll come out in the course. I won't get to do it in this live teaching. But if you understand the feasts of the Lord, first of all, we call them the, the feasts of Israel, which that's not their real name. It's the feasts of the Lord. And there's a reason they're called that. But in the Feast of the Lord, each one of those feasts has been fulfilled with precision by Christ. And I believe this event is highlighted there as well and will be. Uh, I also believe in the rapture because of the theological interpretations concerning something that I will explain to you in a few moments called the times of Jacob's trouble. Most people have never considered the times of Jacob's trouble, but it is, a, it is a direct reference to the seven years of tribulation. Um, I also believe in the rapture because many of the early church fathers taught the rapture, regardless of those who claim they didn't. There's plenty of documentation, docu document, uh, documentation to show you that they clearly did believe and teach the rapture. And some of them clearly expound upon it in some of their teachings in such a way there is no ambiguity. They're talking about the rapture of the church. And uh, so I believe in the rapture for that reason. 
I believe in the rapture also because its teachings, as I will show you in one of our lessons, can be found all throughout the centuries since the time of Christ. And in all those centuries, there are people who have taught on the coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church, and in particularly what they referred to in their time as the imminency of Christ's return. So the imminency of Christ's return is, cannot be the same thing as the, as the um, second coming. Here, here's one of the things that is easy to spot in those two correlations of rapture passages and second coming passages. There is the unknown day and there's the known day. In the unknown day, no man knows the day nor the hour. So we don't know when the rapture would take place. But the known day is the second coming because it is actually, we're actually given the exact days to count from the time of this. That's how we know it's a seven-year period. That's how we can count three and a half years. The Bible is so explicit on that, it even tells you to count 1,260 days so you know the day of the second coming. You don't know the day of the rapture of the church. Thank you so much for supporting our ministry. If this has blessed you, please say a prayer for us. And if you would like to give, we have four ways that you can do that. You can give online at briancutshaw.com or if you're a PayPal user, just PayPal us at Church Trainer. Or you can also give through the mail at P.O. Box 267, Georgetown, Tennessee, 37336. Or if you're a Venmo user, you can Venmo us also at Church Trainer. Thank you, and God bless you, and may the Lord multiply your seed. Now back to Hope in the Word. Another reason that I believe in the rapture is because, in my opinion, it is the clearest explanation of the timeline of eschatology and the one that I have behind me. And I will show you that over and over and over again. You'll see it in your sleep by the time I'm through. All right, I took these, this next bit from uh, a well-known scholar that some of you probably follow by the name of Finnis Jennings Dake from his Dake Study Bible, uh, from his notes on 1 Thessalonians 4.16, which I quoted to you earlier. This is what he says. He says that these are the 10 reasons or purposes for the rapture. The first purpose of the rapture is to receive the saints to himself as promised. I will receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. So that's a big difference. Jesus is receiving the saints in the rapture and the world is receiving Christ at the second coming. He's not receiving the saints. The saints are coming back with Christ at the second coming. Secondly, to resurrect the dead in Christ from among the wicked people. If you read all the second coming passages, there is no resurrection taught in the second coming passages, only in the rapture passage. So another purpose of the rapture is to resurrect the dead in Christ from among the wicked dead. Thirdly, to take the saints to heaven to live in the new Jerusalem and receive their rewards. That would be the beam of judgment seat of Christ. That is another purpose for the rapture. Fourth, to change bodies of saints to immortality. All right? So we move from mortality to immortality. The rapture accommodates that. 
Fifthly, to present saints before God. Jesus said, if you're not ashamed of me, if you're unashamed of me, I will confess you before my Father and His holy angels. We are presented. That's what many people call the coronation day. The day that you get your crowns in heaven. And I don't have time to go into this, but there are five crowns mentioned in heaven that people will wear. Uh, the soul winner's crown, the martyr's crown, uh, the crown of rejoicing, uh, the, the only crown, by the way, I'll just toss this in for good measure, the only crown that is a halo, there are no halos on angels' heads, uh, there are only, where we get the idea of a halo is the crown of glory that fades not away. That's given to ministers, that's given to those who cared for the body of Christ, elders, pastors, teachers, they're the only ones that wear the crown of glory that fades no way. All the other crowns mentioned are gold. So there'll be people with golden crowns on, but there'll be people with a crown of glory, a circle of light around their head that never fades, and they'll wear it all throughout eternity. They'll be the kings of eternity, and people will bow before them, and people will honor them for their work for the Lord on this earth. And that is why you don't give up. You just keep going in the face of it all, Keep going. It will be worth it all. Um, so we're presented before God. He also says, Finnis Dake also says that it's to make the saints whole in body, soul, and spirit. So it's finally to rid us of this jar of clay and have our mind renewed like the mind of Christ. And in body, soul, and spirit, we come together in wholeness. Also to receive the fruit of the early and the latter rain, as James 5 and 7 talks about, and John 14, 1 through 3 talks about. There has to be fruit harvested from the latter rain, and that is the harvesting of that spiritual fruit. To allow the saints to escape the wrath of God, and I'll elaborate on that one in just a moment. So the saints of God are there to escape the wrath of God to remove the hinderer of lawlessness so that the son of lawlessness can be revealed. So he's revealed after the restrainer or the hinderer is gone. And we are that restrainer who leaves allowing the Antichrist. Because I promise you, someone asked me in the break, you know, will the Holy Spirit still be at work on this earth during the tribulation? And the answer is absolutely yes. Uh, there's no way you can get saved. As a matter of fact, there's going to be a huge revival that takes place during the tribulation. In the midst of all this chaos, you're going to have a lot of people coming to the Lord who knows they missed the rapture. They've been taught this, and there's going to be a huge revival. There's going to be a huge revival among the Jewish people. After the second half, in the second half of the tribulation period, the Jewish people will return, will, will turn their face toward Messiah. And there will be an enormous worldwide revival among Jews turning to Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is very much at work and very busy during the time of the, the, uh, the tribulation. And also to permit the revelation of the Antichrist. So that's the last number 10 that he gives is to permit the revelation of the Antichrist. Now... I want to break down a few of these for us. I can't do all of them, but I want to break down a few of these reasons for why I believe in the rapture. So the first one I want to talk about is that God has not appointed us to wrath. Let's talk about that one. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 9 says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now some argue 
that this is the belief in escapism. Uh, first of all, escapism theories are based upon the fact that no one needs to suffer for the cause of the gospel. How many of you know it's too late for that? All right. If escapism means that no one needs to suffer for the cause of the gospel, that's almost the idea that when you come to Christ, you have no more problems. Some people actually preach that, right? How many of you feel like something's missing there? All right. You come to Christ and there's no more temptation, no more problems, no more heartaches and pain. I don't think so. Uh, this is certainly not true. As a matter of fact, every generation of Christians has martyrs ever since the time of Christ. Christians are not raptured to escape tribulations on the earth. They're escaping the wrath of God. As a matter of fact, Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world. Did you know that? Christians, so we're not escaping tribulation. Christians are the most persecuted Christian group in the entire world. According to a Christian think tank called the Center of, for the Study of Global Christianity, the CSGC, it says that 900,000 Christians have been martyred in the last decade, equating to 90,000 per year, or one Christian being martyred every six minutes. Think about that. Right now, what have we escaped if somewhere in the world a Christian is losing their life because of no other reason but Christianity? You know where that's happening now? That's happening in a lot of Muslim nations, but you know a place that's really geared up in the last few years is India. There's a lot of Christians being martyred right now in India, which that place was at least open to the gospel for a long time, especially northern India. So there's a difference in escaping tribulation and escaping wrath. So tribulation and trials work patience, according to James 1, 2 through 3. So, so tribulations and trials are there for our, to, to help us grow. But the wrath of God is not there to help us grow. The wrath of God is for judgment, not correction. The day of the Lord that's been prophesied by all of these prophets that's been spoken about through the Bible, that is not to perfect the saints. The day of the Lord is the vengeance of God. It is to bring wrath. The Bible says that He will trample upon the earth as a vine dresser tramples upon his grapes. That is not to bring the church into correction. That is the reason the Lord said that we would escape that. The Bible says in James 1, uh, 2 and 3, My brother, encounter all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Well, the testing of our faith produces patience, but the wrath of God produces judgment. And there is a big difference. The wrath of God is sometimes separated from a section in the, in the book of Revelation called that many refer to as the wrath of the Lamb. So the wrath of the Lamb is often referred to as the first 42 months of the, of the, uh, of the tribulation period. You can hear, see that term actually in uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. The second 42 months is the wrath of God, and Revelation 14 and 10 calls it that. So what would be the difference in the wrath of the Lamb and the wrath of God? And this is where you get mid-trib theology, meaning that, we, first of all, why would we suffer the wrath of the Lamb when He is our Savior? and be spared from the wrath of God. So I don't see 
that, that's one of the reasons I don't adhere to mid-trib theology is because um, I believe that we're escaping the wrath of God in the Lamb, which is, which is the Godhead. It's all the work of the Lord on the earth. Now, where people get this idea from is the Bible tells us in the first three and a half years of the tribulation that I, I, I actually heard some preachers years ago when I was a kid, I never forgot it, make it sound like the first three and a half years is going to be good. I think they got their Bible stories mixed up. I think they're back in the book of Joseph. Um, not the book of Joseph, the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Remember how you're having these years of plenty and these years of famine? I think they got that mixed up somehow because they used to teach the first three and a half years are going to be great, but the last three and a half you've got to worry about. No, I don't read it that way at all. first three and a half years is going to be wars and killings and and government breakdowns. It's, it's going to be earthquakes. But what you do see is you see a change take place. You see natural disasters, and then it shifts after the abomination of desolation happens, which is the midpoint. Then you see it shift to unnatural disasters, things that we've never seen on this earth. And that's the reason that people differentiate those two, those two parts. So I don't believe that we will see the wrath of God. We will escape that. And there's lots of verses on that that I don't have time to go into. Here's another reason that I believe in the rapture. And it's simply the fact that the church is not mentioned after chapter 3 in the book of Revelation. I, I talked about that earlier. Let's elaborate on that more. Now in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 27, we're called the body of Christ, but we're on the earth. But when you get to Revelation 21, verse 2, we're called the, body of, the, the bride of Christ, but we're in heaven. So at some point in time, the body of Christ becomes the bride of Christ. And by Revelation 21, that bride of Christ is not on the earth. That bride of Christ is in heaven. So something has happened. And this is before the second coming. So something, something has happened. So the rapture of the church uh, in the book of Revelation falls, I believe, at chapter 4, verse 1. So in the book of Revelation, there's this definitive timeline of events that will take place. Revelation chapters 1, 2, 3 are what many call, I call it, the church age. And so it's basically describing an era, 2,000-year period, where the church is going to rule as the kingdom of God on this earth. Um, after that, the stages of the church from this 2,000-year period of history, all of a sudden this all disappears. You see this uh, in the seven letters to the seven churches. It begins with the early church called the Ephesus Age, or the church of Ephesus, which was a time of falling in love with God. So they, 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 they're, they've can't leave. He tells them not to leave their first love because they fall in love with God. This is the early church. But it ends with the Laodicean age where he says, I wish you weren't hot or cold. I'll spew you out of my mouth. He said, you're neither. He says, as a matter of fact, in the Laodicean age, he said, you say you're rich and have need of nothing. And what you don't realize, you're blind, naked, and poor. You think your money has now made you uh, you know, ha has given you the success that you need to be the kingdom of God. He said, you don't realize that you don't have anything but money. And then he shows the Laodicean church age. And again, this is not every church, obviously, but it's the general 
consensus of the church, where he's knocking on the door trying to get in. Saying, well, if you'll just let me in, I'll come in and sup with you. And so he says that's how the church is going to end. They're going to start with falling in love. They're going to go through Thyatira and Smyrna and all these other, uh, all these other uh, eras of time, Philadelphia. And, and then you're going to end up in this Laodicean church where it's hard to see a move of God in a lot of churches is what he's saying. He's saying it looks very churchy. It, it looks like a church, but what you don't have is you don't have the power of God. You have a form of godliness denying the power thereof. So you have a form of God in the church, but you have no power of God in the church. You have Jesus on the outside knocking on the door saying, if you'll just let me come in, I can do all kinds of things. I'd just like to sit down and sup with you. And see, so he says that's the general church consensus around the world. And I have to tell you, there's a lot of Orthodox churches around the world, everything from the Catholic Church to the Greek Orthodox Church to the Russian Orthodox Church, and the list goes on and on and on, that are very formal types of religion. And, but you, you see a lot of formality, but you don't see a lot of miracles, signs and wonders. You don't see the gifts of the Spirit. You just don't see a lot of that operating in this church. And I think it explains to me at least the Laodicean age. This program is brought to you by the partners of Brian Cutshaw and Church Trainer Ministries. Please help us pray that the Lord will continue to send us more partners so we can expand His kingdom around the world.